1: Today I report on an economy set to grow faster than any other major advanced economy in the world. Well that was George Osborne. I, however, am Nate Langson. This is Text Message. And I'm Ian Morris. First and foremost, in fact, this week, I wanted to spend some time really looking into what the the UK budget means for the tech sector and specifically as well for anyone who's interested in tech. And the uh, normally the, the budget, and this year certainly was no exception, is not usually heavy on tech, and it's uh, it's a little bit of a dry document to go through. But go through it, I have, <sighs> and I think we've broken down, or uh, here, and will break down for you here the the key points. Um, but we're going to start with the sharing economy support. Now, this is an interesting one, Ian, because it means that from twenty seventeen. Uh, next year, obviously, there will be two new tax free allowances worth a thousand pounds a year to British citizens. Now, what's that got to do with tech, may you ask? Well, one of them is one of these tax breaks, essentially, is going to be for selling goods or providing services. Now, this could be anything from having an Etsy shop to running a small little craft business on eBay, selling art, prints, things like that, um, up to a £1,000. It's a tax break. Um, and the other is for providing sharing services. This is things like Airbnb, um, ride sharing, l- renting your driveway out to, um, to drivers if you have space and, uh, and maybe live near a, a train station, which is something I found out I can do in my new house that I've just bought. And um, the Daily Mail, in a rare moment of uh, balance and m- matter-of-factiveness, uh, described this as a tax break for Airbnb and eBay entrepreneurs, yeah. which one of the first times I've ever fully agreed with an entire Daily Mail sentence. A whole sentence um, is
0: incredible stuff.
1: In, absolutely, and credit where it's due, you know, once in a lifetime is worth pointing out. Um, but but that is what it is. It's, you know, if if you are somebody who is considering trying to make a bit of extra money on the side by renting out a room on Airbnb, running your business on eBay, Etsy, some of these types of um platforms that are quite digital uh first platforms, you know, they're they're very mobile first, they require a little bit of web savviness. It means that you're not gonna pay any money on the first thousand pounds that you make from those activities. No forms to fill in. In fact, that was a direct quote from Osborne who says that um, uh, it's uh, in the same way, the first thousand pounds of income from property, renting a driveway or loft storage will be tax-free. No forms, no refunds, just don't bother paying tax on that. That seems great. Awesome. To me? To me. Would you agree? Yeah. Man? Is this
0: something you would want to take advantage of? I've... No, I'm going to need room. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean... I. I suppose anything you can do to encourage things like this is probably a good thing. I mean this is how you kickstart um entrepreneurialship and get people thinking about how they can make money on things that are otherwise unused, be it that a driveway or a garage or you know I, so I don't know I, I i feel like well, there's a lot of things that I would rather see money get spent on, but um I think this is fair enough it's a It's a, it's a new industry, isn't it, so it's worth encouraging it.
1: It is, and the, the devil will be in the details in terms of how widely this affects. I mean, how the loopholes that could be applied um, for could be for things like well, podcasting. Let's take podcasting as an example. What if, what if I make a thousand pounds from the podcast? I don't, by the no. way.
0: Neither does no, it. I don't make anything.
1: Not a bean. <laughs> um, but you know, could we, could we, could we say that 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 is? Um, you know somehow selling a good that we have made um, i'm that's. not i'm not I'm not sure, but if it's a digital good, um maybe that's a thing you know it's they they describe these people as micro entrepreneurs who sell their services online or rent out their homes through the internet so um chances are that th- that this small amount of money is not quite big enough to warrant people being really hassled for. At the best of times, and so they're probably not paying it anyway. Uh, but this is, that's just my
0: theory. I think. But that... this
1: just removes the burden of stress from people, and and maybe encourages them to um to to get going. So I think I think that's great. And apparently, according to um Osborne, it's a tax break for the digital age, and at least half a million people will benefit in the UK. So I I can't I can't argue with that.
0: 5G. Ian. Yes, that's next on our on our list here. Exciting to you and I. We are network fans. Very much so. So it was all over Mobile World Congress this year. Actually, five G. Uh, I had a nice chat with Qualcomm. Um, a slightly more confusing chat with a gentleman from NTT DoCoMo. But yeah, it was uh, it's it was talk of the show in some ways. Well, it's been
1: the talk of the budget, at least if you are a networks journalist looking for the key detail to write a story about, uh, because the budget this year included a paragraph that says that the Commission will carry out an assessment of how the UK can become a world leader in 5G deployment and how it can take early advantage of the potential benefits of 5G services. This review will include a case study of the southwest of england so again this is something that's going to take place uh, probably over the next two years between now and 2017 and although 5g is a long way off
0: you know some people 2020 i think is the date
1: well that's the date i i think at the
0: very earliest that we will see any kind of application of it
1: yes but we're probably talking 10 years from now for us all having There's
0: there's some good life left in 4g yet we haven't eked to every piece of performance that's possible out of that yet.
1: Definitely not. But the fact that this is in the budget is is encouraging because it means that whether anything comes out of it or not, someone is paying attention to it and it was worthy of inclusion and it's something that's been identified as important, which is uh, is great because a lot of talk around 5G is not how fast you can download your TV shows or albums. It's actually more often talked about Internet of Things and the ability for cars and small devices to very quickly interact with each other. And, and and although we're not going to talk about Spectrum on this, it was mentioned in the budget that Spectrum is going to be made available um, for a variety of new services, and, and this could connect into that, uh, literally, in, in this case. That's exciting, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously we, we need to... This is something that I think industry should pay for, really, but I guess it's... It's always good to have studies done, and you know, uh, obviously there is a broadband problem in this country mm. that needs to be resolved, and five G and four G will help with that.
1: Well, actually, the, also in the budget was about I think four and a half million quid to be spent on broadband in the southwest. So yeah. broadband is, in fact, let's let's jump to that because this is a whole separate thing. There's a bigger number we can talk about as part of this. The government has announced that in partnership with the private sector is going to establish a new broadband investment fund, or BIF if you will. Uh, This Uh, fund will operate on a commercial basis to support the growth of alternative network developers by providing greater access to finance. The government will distribute 14.5 million pounds in grants to extend ultra-fast broadband coverage in the Southwest. So the Southwest obviously being pinpointed here as an area that needs better broadband. It's also the area where this 5G study is going to be done. So I think there's a lot we can read into here that the government really sees 5G as the way of leapfrogging into the next generation of broadband as opposed to just mobile services. Um, Which is smart because long term it's better than laying a lot of cables around. Um, But it it also seems that uh, it could take quite a while and we're going to have to work with the private sector to develop some of these new products. But overall that seems like a positive thing um, to, to see at least promised. Next, um, we did mention the uh, Internet of Things, the cities and uh, cars and things. And last week, I think it was on last week's show, we talked about driverless lorries, driverless cars. Um, that's the next point that was in the budget that was relevant to the tech fans of Britain and the world, which is that the government has announced that it's going to establish, it wants to at least, uh, the UK as a global centre for excellence in connected and autonomous vehicles. The government will... I'm reading here straight out of the budget, by the way. Uh, The government will conduct trials of driverless cars on the Strategic Road Network. Not entirely sure yet what that is. By 2017, so within the next year, uh, it's going to consult this summer on, quote, sweeping away regulatory barriers uh, that exist within the current parliament uh, that would enable autonomous vehicles to be driven on England's major roads, It wants to create a 15 million pound connected corridor between London and Dover that uh, would, I assume, have some sort of Internet of Things, Internet of Cities, wireless points throughout the journey that uh, allows cars and infrastructure to talk to each other as a way of uh, seeing if that benefits drivers and, and business as well as do the um what it calls truck platooning on the strategic road network which goes back to the um autonomous or semi-autonomous lorries and trucks that we talked about last week um but quite interesting because i mean britain isn't doing a lot in the space of developing driverless cars a lot of that's being led out of the us but we do want to make sure that we're benefiting from that and allowing um you know these companies to Either potentially sell their technologies in Britain, sell them to British drivers, as because British drivers want to drive them on the roads because they've been allowed to. So yeah, again, this seems like a, a you know quite a long-term goal, but again, some money being put into making research possible to to uh, to do this and to to make it safe, but. I'm curious about what would constitute a major road. You know, autonomous vehicles on England's major roads. That's a direct quote out of the budget. Now, Ian, would you call, call a major road sort of a
0: motorway? Or... Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A motorway. I would say it's got to be motorways. And the other, I mean, obviously, I, I would be quite in favour of this. And there's one very good reason that a, dri- a driverless truck would be quite um, useful. I mean, obviously, it would, it would help uh, reduce costs because... Um, Drivers are not allowed to drive for, you know, after, over a certain amount of hours per week and stuff like that, which is obviously very difficult. Um, I suspect that driverless trucks would only be able to do certain runs. So probably only up and down motorways anyway. I think asking them to drive, I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but I would say at least to start with, that's a lot easier, isn't it? But of course, driverless trucks don't get impatient and what you see on motorways, and this causes huge snarl ups, is that when one truck overtakes another truck, at one of them going at 60 miles an hour, one of them going at 61 miles an hour, uh, that takes a long time and blocks up two whole lanes. And that could be two thirds of the whole capacity of the road. Yes. Um, so it would be good to get away from that and have autonomous trucks that are just happy to sit in the inside lane and do their thing um, and, you know, get on with their lives without blocking up other lanes.
1: Well, before we get to that point, we are gonna have to see this consultation in government this summer about uh, changing the the regulatory barriers, as uh, at least as Osborne sees them, uh, that exist within government to at least allow some of this testing and piloting to take place. And then from 2017, actually be conducting these trials of driverless cars on the roads. The government will establish a panel of leading experts chaired by Catherine Parsons to shape a £20 million Institute for Coding competition. And this institute, as as research turned up, uh, is going to be run by the Department for Business Innovation and Skills, which is a good start. The details of exactly uh, sort of how this Institute of Coding will work and what it's got to do with these... um, Academies potentially that we that we're going to have by 2022, and and obviously with the UK universities, th- those details seem still to need to be fleshed out a little bit. But I looked into where this last came up, and and this came out last year in April, where it was announced that this Institute of Coding, uh, brackets Center for Digital Skills and Computer Science, seems to be aimed at breeding people who may want to work at GCHQ one day, and in fact. There was a speech given by George Osborne last year where in the very first paragraph says, Britain must be prepared for ISIL, ISIS, to develop the capability for cyber warfare. Chancellor of the Exchequer George Osborne, warned in a major speech at GCHQ. But it was in this document that he said, the government will launch a competition to attract joint collaborations between universities and business for a capital prize of 20 million pounds focused on the digital skills and computer science. That's what's now been confirmed in the budget as being available this year. So what I can take from this is that it's a pot of money the government's putting up for grabs for individuals, universities, and private businesses to get together to generate, to get people new skills and offer them either jobs or incentives or um, some kind of return fees as a way of getting great computer coders staying in the UK and potentially working to combat terror at GCHQ. Now, that amount wasn't put in the budget. That's all from my sort of background reading today. I don't know how I feel about the coding being so very closely paired to cyber warfare and counterterrorism, but more coders in Britain and a bigger emphasis on computer science in general seems to be, to me, a smart move.
0: Ian? Yes, absolutely i mean we, one of the big problems that we're going to have increasingly is going to be and this is always going to be a problem is 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 talented people will get taken to other countries um obviously places like china and india spring to mind and of course the us um so it obviously makes sense to keep people here and also deploy them for use in you know counter terrorism i guess so yeah. it's a it's a good idea um i don't know how exciting people will find those jobs, whether or not they can compete with the likes of, you know, coding for Facebook and stuff. but I expect it's probably quite high up in terms of interest levels. Well, there's, you...
1: there's now twenty million pounds. Uh, there's a reason yeah. to
0: be interested, so
1: I think that's uh, that's good, and hopefully will help develop at least some new uh, educational ideas for uh, getting coding into schools and, and universities, which is which is I mean, no bad yeah. thing.
0: It isn't. Uh, it isn't at all. And I mean, I would, I would be very disappointed if um you know if any school wasn't even even if it was optional making coding available for kids um, because they're, they're, it's natural for them they can easily learn it they'll have the advantage that I don't because I've I've never been able to pick up a programming language because I'm old and doddery um but it would be great if kids can be taught it at school and walk away with something that will actually be even if they don't end up being coders that that's always a valuable skill to have isn't it it is absolutely i mean it's it's not been too long but it's been around for a while now that you there is a,
1: a GCSE computer science which i think is either compulsory or is a, at least a part of your educational um uh, you know which is for for those of you outside of the uk that's the 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 grade the, the studying you would do between the ages of 15 and 16 in, in compulsory education and computer science is a part of that that I think touches upon apps and you know more advanced computer studies than just here's how to use excel here's how to use word which to be fair you all know how to use anyway so um maybe this is the next step for that we'll uh, we'll see um, I want to move on just before we get up to the 20 minute mark talking about this we've got one more one more aspect to this which I find it a little bit um Uh, A little bit more interesting than than some of the other things in the budget, just because it's going to open up a whole load of new possibilities for people to think about money and to not be put off by working with banks anymore. This is the government's intention to work with what's called the New Bank Startup uh, Startup Unit to promote the authorization of more new banks. Now, you might be thinking, more new banks? Terrible idea. We've got enough bankers and their bonuses ruining the country and the world economy. Um, What does more of those bring to the table? Well, banking licences, it turns out, are very rarely issued. And Metro Bank is one of the only new high street banks for over 100 years in the UK. It took about two years for that company to get a banking licence. Whereas while we've been going through all this, we've had the mobile revolution. We've got people doing banking on their phones. We've got people paying for contactless payments with Apple Pay, with Samsung Pay, with Android. Um, And so people are using their phones as wallets and as a conduit to their financial management platforms, whatever they're trying to do. And there are now apparently as many as two dozen firms trying to get licenses to be a bank officially a bank licensed by the government to to be managed and run as a bank with the responsibilities that that entails and um the chancellor has said that he wants to grant 15 new banking licenses in the UK in the next 5 years and that was said last year so um that you know that's up to 2020 15 new banks and there are a number of these starting to pop up with promotions there's one called atom bank that one's not live yet but it wants to be digital only and wants to be a an online only current account there's another one called Fidor bank or Fidor bank that is live um and it's a sort of a social media web 2.0 based bank so they so they call themselves has a bigger emphasis on um sort of customer relationships on social media platforms it's actually been around in germany for for i think nearly 10 years and russia and, uh, and it wants to launch next in the UK and then in the US. Um, there's another one called Starling, which, again, isn't live, but is being set up as a digital bank, and um, that wants to be... I think they wanted to be live by last year, but um, they, uh, they're, they're particularly interested, I think, in how things like Amazon and, and Apple have worked to make music downloading and shopping incredibly easy and painless and sort of free of hassle from dealing with real people and they want to apply similar sorts of thinking to banks. Um, and then there's another one I saw called Lintel, which, again, isn't live right now, um, but it wants to really put um, sort of high-tech uh, IT to and mobile into the sort of the forefront of the banking uh, experience, if you like, and, and do everything from current accounts to mortgages and loans and all that sort of stuff. Um, these are just a few. There are loads more, and apparently one report I read said there's as many as 20 or, or, or two dozen. That are trying to get some of these licenses that Osborne's promised. So this, I think, is good news for tech people because London's fintech community is massive. Financial technology companies get huge amounts of investment. It's one of the most highly invested in areas of um, technology startups um, in the country, and London is is a, a real hotbed for that sort of innovation. So the with the combination of a promise to to better support these sorts of businesses and the promise to issue a whole load of new licenses and being in a country that is do- that is particularly notably innovative with financial technologies i think that's great for us and i think that um you know if that helps even shake up some of the other more established banking players to pull their acts together and not disillusion people into putting cash under mattresses then
0: yes i mean that's good. that was my point really was that um you know the banking is is fundamentally it's very difficult to find a bank that does anything differently. So it would be good to see if um if these can encourage banks that are um able to offer different services, able to offer better interest rates, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. And 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 give people a reason to be excited about banking again. They're never going to be excited about definitely.
1: Banking. I mean, I've just gone through the process of buying a house, and it's a it's a tedious, laborious, and stressful process involving huge numbers of human beings and a lot of fanning yeah. around. Uh, <laughs> Very w- much so. What I would love to think in the future is that we could have a, a. Could you imagine a mobile experience that combines the the ease of sort of getting insurance through something like Compare the Market or Go Compare with your bank, with your say Right Move or one of the online estate agent type thing, and being able to do the have the entire or at least the majority of the whole process of buying a house done in a single app. Because that's yeah. kind of the direction that we're going to, and these sorts of announcements and plans, again, trying to be as as just plain and objective as possible, these plans at least are the kinds of things that can help us get a step or two closer to that. Um, so personally, I'm very excited about that, um, and and hopefully the the next generation of house buyers won't have to deal with some of the
0: BS that that you and I um, have to deal oh, with I, presently. Yeah, I I, I, I I pity you because it is awful. Yeah, but. Hey, you know, um, you only really have to do it a couple of times in your life, I suppose. This so is true. There, there is that, but it it is a complicated process, and it's steeped in very pointless traditions as well. Um, you stamp, know, duty. Like stamp duty, stamp duty being get me really started g- on stamp well, duty. It's um, it's been it's around since kind of si-
1: the yeah, but it's been around since the sixteen hundreds, and no one's ever really been able to give a good explanation of what it is. They don't even put a stamp on anything anymore. <laughs> even the thing it's <laughs> yeah, named after, a bit they cheaters, don't do,
0: do not you? No. Anyway,
1: well, that's our wrap up of the budget. Uh, through the eyes of the Tech Observer, I hope that's given everybody um, a, a good overview of sort of the highlights of tech and digital. Um, but let us know what you think to any of these things. 5G, the Institute for Coding, the cyber education stuff, driverless cars, uh, the sharing economy. If you're planning on taking advantage of being able to you know, make a £1,000 um, every year from renting out your driveway or selling on Etsy or eBay, um, and of course, things like the Broadband Investment Fund, being a new bank, that sort of stuff. Let us know what you think. I'd love to get some views and digest this a bit further. Podcast at Natelanson.com. We will eagerly await your opinions there. And now, before we move into a little bit of feedback and the second bit of news we've got for this week, it's time to check in with Tom Merritt of DTNS see what's been happening this week and what's coming up next week in the global tech picture.
0: Hey, thanks, Nate. Coming up this week, we'll be talking on Daily Tech
1: News Show about Apple's announcement on Monday about products, and does anybody care about that when Apple's fighting the FBI in court on Tuesday? This past week, we talked about whether anyone really cares about their privacy, even though they all say they do, and whether chatbots will be the next wave
0: of innovation after apps. Also talked about high school team robotics, how that's changing kids' lives, and the virtual reality reality landscape what is this stuff good for now that sony's in the game all of that on daily
1: thanks tom all good stuff coming up this week and do check out tom's show uh, dtns monday or tuesday and or tuesday for a breakdown of the apple announcements coming out uh, monday evening obviously ian and i will be dissecting that with uh hawk-like precision and detail yes. next weekend um but if you want something sooner than that Uh, Obviously, tune in to uh, DTNS on Monday or Tuesday. A little bit of feedback here. Um, We've got one from John, who emailed in after our episode last week about tetraphobia and uh, the Samsung stuff, who says, you mentioned Microsoft, but you didn't mention how they released Windows NT and Windows 95 at the point where Windows 4 would have been appropriate. Very Mm. true. Um, Again, whether that could be directly attributable to um, wanting to not... Put the, the the word death in a product title when released well, in actually, China. We don't know.
0: That is a good point because um, it was NT five, wasn't there? Which was which became Windows two thousand, didn't it? So um, they they really did miss four out. Yeah, they, it was completely missed, and we you know we, yeah. we, we, we missed that last week. And
1: uh, thanks, John, for pointing that out. Uh, Merrill uh, tweeted us and uh, said that she just finished listening to the podcast, got to the comment: tetrophobia in the east, but fear of thirteen in the west. Um, yep. Hospitals and hotels often don't have a 13th floor. A room marked 13 often either doesn't exist uh, or it's a cupboard. Uh, not sure if it's that frequent nowadays, uh, but do think it had an impact on marketing. So we do have our own fears too. Um, very true. We actually, we, we were going to mention the, the 13 stuff, but um, we went on for ages last week, so we didn't. <laughs> we but, did, yes. Uh, but thank you, Merrill, for pointing that out. It's, it's very true. So who knows? Will we ever see OS 13, Windows 13, or... Uh, you know, just a 13th floor in a hospital. Don't know, but we'll keep our eye on that. Keep the feedback coming. Podcast at NateLangson.com or obviously tweet us at text message pod on Twitter. And uh, of course, do keep those wonderful reviews that keep us bouncing around with giddy excitement. Uh, I-, I tingle from nose. To tail, Ian? Uh, nose to toe. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) You know, do you have a tail? So, indeed, it's an all-encompassing tingle. That's the the depth to which I get excited when I see people leaving us reviews on iTunes, because that's the way that uh, people discover the show. So, thank you ever so much to all of you who keep on doing that. One last story we wanted to get to here, Ian. um, Yeah. Which is that? Well, it's that Microsoft and PlayStation, Sony PlayStation. May at some point it seems cross their networks over. Mm. I mean that's that's I think that's extrapolating. Do you want to do you want to go into
0: a bit of detail about what this is, Ian? Well, curiously, this came from Microsoft, didn't it? Yeah. Which um, I mean, no one. I don't think anyone's really been desperately asking for a feature like this. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's been the gamers' desire um, all along. But the idea is that finally, people who have a PlayStation Four will be able to play co-op games with people who have uh, Xbox Ones um and the like um and i believe when i asked you you said that you suggested that that would also go uh to pc gaming as well so that uh us glorious pc master race people would be able to um play the console peasants uh, at their locked down 30 frames a second <laughs> it's, not always, um, it's not always 30 it is it is 60 but it is 60 for some games yeah absolutely and, and i speak as a man with a gpu it's not quite quick enough to run a lot of things at 60 frames a second anyway yes um but even so i think it's a nice idea that we could um potentially have a, a a a global way of playing games across whatever platform now i don't even know why this has taken so long it doesn't feel to me um like it would be particularly difficult but then i don't know anything about how the back end works on these systems and um, well you don't need to um, all you
1: need to know is that the you know microsoft and sony want to control their own networks to get a competitive edge over the other
0: yeah, this doesn't really affect that though, does it? I mean, allowing one set of players to play with the other is, is not a big, a big problem.
1: I think it's a it's probably a slight nod to the fact that people are more frequently wanting to play with games that where it's more than just two players. You know, it's games that have many, many players. And in order to consistently make sure that you've always got a, a critical mass of players ready to play together, you kind of need to think outside of just who's on Xbox Live right now, who's on PlayStation right now, who's on PC just now. And this is something that's been around for you know for a while. Final Fantasy XI, back in the day, actually let PlayStation 2 players and PC players play together. It was a, um, a massively multiplayer online role-playing game. It was the first multiplayer Final Fantasy game of its ilk. It uh, came out around 2004, I think, 2005, something like that and um it was uh it was kind of revolutionary that people could play between ps2 and, and pc and um at the moment final fantasy 14 has continued that and people can play between ps3 ps4 and pc on on that um one of the games that was highlighted as part of this announcement from microsoft is uh, rocket league which is um a, kind of a casual racing slash football slash crashing to cars game um that's very exciting Um, And uh, it already lets people play between PS4 and PC, but now it's going to also let people play between Xbox One and PC. Microsoft said, according to this Ars Technica write-up, that there's an open invitation, that is a quote, for other networks to get involved, uh, not just with Rocket League, but with the opening of Xbox Live. And part of that, or rather as a result of that, Sony has said that it's looking at um, potential uh, benefits of... Having cross compatibility with Xbox, and it's 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 something that I you know they're they're interested in. Um, in fact, I think this this report also noted Street Fighter Five could benefit from this, or does already benefit from this as well. So you know, I don't think I don't think they're outwardly saying yes, this is great. PlayStation would love to partner with Microsoft, but the fact that both companies are sort of coyly nodding knowing the other one's listening that maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing if some of their games or some of their networks or users could work with the other. You know, I think that's a that's a good thing. If games get more multiplayer, you know, there's nothing worse than buying a game a couple of years after it came out, wanting to play online and finding the experience to be, for want of a better term, piss poor. Um, which does very much which does happen. (laughs) This is a way of at least saying, well, you know, if there's only 5% of people playing versus what there was when the game came out two, three years ago, then, you know, it doesn't make sense for that 5% to be split across PS4 and PS3 and Xbox and PC. It would make sense to, in the long term, fuse these together to allow these multiplayer games a longer lifespan, because that's better for everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. and. uh... Um, and I, I imagine that it will have some cost benefits for companies as well because they won't have to run whole groups of servers that um, that will be used by one or the other. They'll be able to consolidate that down. I mean, obviously, as a, as a game is popular, then they'll need more servers, obviously. Um, but, it, you know, I can see that that could give games online longer lifespans because they won't be under so much pressure to shut down those expensive servers, I would guess. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So this is great. If Sony's happy to have that conversation, which they said they are, and Microsoft's making that a possibility, then we're all winning. And this is this is competition at its best, isn't it? This is where the, the customer wins, and that's and that's what's great. Well, that's going to do it for this week's text message. Um, do obviously check back next week uh, where we're going to dissect what comes out of Apple's announcement. Uh, Well, Monday, uh, the uh, 21st, there we go. 21st, it's tomorrow (laughs) night. The 21st. um, We decided not to do a preview for this because uh, probably most people listening to this podcast have kind of already previewed it themselves. So instead, we'll just come back with a giant big egg of our opinions and crack it over you uh, in a week's time.
0: So let us know. It'll be interesting, won't it? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. We'll see. I am.
1: I did read a report today, I think on Pocket Lent, that the iPad Pro, might, the 10-inch one, might not be a direct replacement for the iPad Air. And in fact, there may be an iPad Air 3 and an iPad Pro 10-inch, and the 10-inch would cost more money and just be higher end, mm. which I think would be desperately confusing, and I hope they don't do that. But we'll check back. Let us know what you think between the announcement and next weekend, if you want to comment on the announcements, podcast at natelangston.com. Ian, it's been nothing but a bucket full of pleasure.
0: Agreed, absolutely. I have
1: slurped ever so deeply this week.
0: <laughs> and well done for braving the budget. That was uh, quite the undertaking. <laughs> well, hopefully everyone appreciated it. See you guys in a week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.